Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Apple is apologizing after admitting a software update deliberately slowed some older iPhones. The UK's Information Commission has fined Facebook for failing to protect its users' data in connection with the Cambridge Analytica scandal. The EU says Google violated antitrust laws with its dominance of its Android operating system. Ah, technology. Can't live with it. Can't live without it. These days, it feels like barely a day goes by without a headline telling us that big tech companies, with their products and algorithms, have yet again deceived us, been subject to data breaches, or found a way to make us more and more dependent on them. Sometimes it feels like we're under siege by big tech. Well, some people say it's time to fight back, in the best way we know how, by being human, together. My name's Douglas Rushkoff. I promote human autonomy in a digital age by uh, writing books, making documentaries, um, teaching at university, and traveling around trying to argue for people to uh, reclaim humanity in this wonderful period. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this week I speak to Douglas about his new book, Team Human, which he says is a call to arms for humans to start working together in order to remake our society. Can humanity sustain itself, you know, another couple of centuries? Or is this it? Are we just witnessing the end? I think that we can. I mean, I don't know if it's probable, but I believe it's possible. This is Chips With Everything. When did you start worrying about the human race in the face of technology? I've probably always been worried a little bit about the human race. (laughs) You know, since I was a little kid, there was, you know, the concert for Bangladesh. Must have been the 60s or early 70s. And that kind of woke me up to the idea that there were all these people all over the world who don't get to live like I do. The idea that technology would become part of that injustice rather than a curative I guess that's relatively new for me. You know, in the late 80s and early 90s, I really believed that digital technology would be almost entirely beneficial, that, you know, more intelligence, more connection, more communication could only really amplify the possibilities for, you know, the global brain. It wasn't really until the mid-90s when they let 
commercial activity happen online when Netscape, which had been the original nonprofit web browser, when they became a public company. That, that was a moment I kind of thought, huh, we're, we're leaving a certain set of values behind as we develop this stuff. And I became concerned that, you know, technology may not be developing, you know, entirely in the, in the interests of the public good. So Douglas started to think of ways to show people how to take back their society and get its technology to work to benefit humans as it should. He started a podcast called Team Human, which he says is striving to amplify human connection. And recently, he published a book by the same name. With it, he hopes to explain how tools meant to improve human connection, like the internet, have ended up being used against us and why humans have to relearn how to work together in order to fight back. In a way, it was an experiment. I mean, I've done like 20 books before this, and all of them are kind of about a thing. You know, the impact of technology on human consciousness or our perception of time. And this one, I really wanted to give people the tools and logic and argument that they need to reclaim the world for humans. I guess I got the idea for this book when I was on a panel with a famous transhumanist, and he was arguing that human beings should accept that technology is our evolutionary successor, and that the moment that the singularity comes, that's the moment that computers are smarter than people, we should pass them the evolutionary torch and accept our own obsolescence and eventual extinction. And I argued, no, that, no, I like humans. Humans are weird. We can do things that computers can't. We can embrace ambiguity and sustain paradoxes over a, a long period of time. We don't need to resolve everything to a one or a zero, but we can sustain ourselves in that sort of liminal place between one answer and another. And that's where human imagination and creativity and specialness exist. And then he said, oh, Rushkoff, you're just saying that because you're a human, right? As if it was hubris. So that's why that's why I did this, you know, because so many, so many people, technologists, even environmentalists are so down on humans as this cancer on the planet. And I, I think that we're, we're something better. Let's talk about transhumanism quickly. Obviously, this is, you know, the desire to improve on our biological existence. And there are different forms, right? So you've got, you know, Stephen Hawking using machines to help him deal with the effects of his motor neuron disease. And then you've got people like uh, Neil Harbison, who has an antenna implanted in his head that picks up vibrations from colors and can receive telephone calls directly into his head. Do you think there's something wrong with wanting to use technology to improve humans inherently? Do you think that's a problem inherently? Or is it just when people start talking about machines replacing humans entirely? Anything can be a problem. I mean, I think we just have to understand that technologies are like drugs. Sure, you can take steroids and lift more weights. You can increase your utility value by taking speed and working late into the night. But is there any negative effect to doing that? By enhancing one aspect of your productivity, are you decreasing another? You know, so we know that if you take lots of steroids to have big muscles, there's a cost to your personality. There's a cost to your organs and your longevity. Uh, you know, what is it that we're in this for? What is it we want to accomplish? That's when I get concerned that we're really just taking kind of the values of a utilitarian marketplace 
and and installing them in humans or worse the values that we assign to digital technologies which are you know multitasking and computational power and all those you know terrific things for computers may not be the core essential functions and values of a human being At one point in the book, you say that human beings are not the problem, we are the solution. But later on, you write that technology may have caused a lot of problems, but it is not the enemy. So if it's not human beings and it's not technology, who is to blame? You know, capitalism was a real problem. You know, and I write about where it came from, this this moment in, in the late medieval times when there was a rising middle class and people were starting to learn how to trade with each other and they had local currencies and all this excess wealth. You know, the that's when capitalism was invented, when we were all forced to use central currency that you have to borrow at interest, which meant you have a economy that has to grow. It worked for some while it enslaved others and took over countries and we all colonized everyone else's areas. But, you know, when once we started to kind of turbocharge capitalism with digital technology, what we did was we actually started to turn that extractive colonialism on ourselves. And we don't like it. You know, so I think that we're beginning to experience ourselves in some ways as kind of the indigenous species on planet Earth. And yeah, we've done this in some sense, we've done this to ourselves. But it's not a matter now of saying, well, let's develop new technologies to control human behavior. No, if anything, we've got to become less dependent on the cues that technology gives us, even if we've programmed those cues, and a little bit more dependent on our social cues, on what we see and feel when we engage with other people. We've been alienating from each other since well, gosh, since uh, uh, the beginning of consumerism, really, since television. And I thought the internet would reconnect us to one another, but now we're using it to turn everyone into enemies as well. And that's, uh, that's what I think we have to stop. Regular CHIPS listeners will know that we often end up talking about regulation. Normally, we talk about the struggle regulators face when trying to catch up with the pace of technological development. Douglas suggests that instead of focusing solely on coming up with laws to protect us, we need to look inward. And apparently the way to do that is to figure out what he calls the human agenda. Well, I mean, I'm not against regulation. I think that's fine. I just think it's kind of slow. And certainly in the States, when I'm seeing that, you know, uh, we do congressional hearings for Facebook or for Google, and you've got senators and congressmen asking questions about where does my Facebook email come in? You know, they don't understand what these platforms even are. So they're not really in a position, certainly those folks are not in a position to regulate it. So instead, what I'm looking at is how do we enhance our cultural immune response? It's almost more taking the uh, the approach of a homeopathic doctor or a naturopath rather than an allopathic doctor. I'm not looking at how do we attack the disease, but how do we increase the vitality of the organism? You know, and the way we do that is by enhancing our social connectivity, by reacquainting ourselves with one another, by finding other people who care. And so I believe that as people engage with one another in real ways, we end up activating and accessing, you know, 500 years of painstakingly evolved mechanisms for social cohesion. 
and that as those are activated, um, we will be voting differently and acting differently and engaging differently and doing business differently. It becomes really just too difficult to do things in ways that are, are just attacking others. After the break, we'll try to figure out how we can start to be truly social once again and why we need to recalibrate the idea of what it means to connect as humans. All of the tweets and pictures on Instagram that you think are so heinous and that you need to make a comment on because somehow your comment in the stream is going to matter somehow, all that goes away and you go outside and start to address the real problems that are existing right, right where you live. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's time to focus. I think ultimately that ideology is fading, but it will have a sting in the tail, and we see that sometimes with these flare-ups and violence. Today in Focus is the new daily podcast from The Guardian. Join me, Anushka Rastana, for the best stories from our journalists around the world. Subscribe now to Today in Focus from The Guardian. Welcome back to Chips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. This week, I'm cheering for Team Human. To help me do that, I'm talking to author Douglas Rushkoff, whose new book aims to help us humans learn how to work together and take back control from the machines. One of the big concerns people have when it comes to handing over control to machines is the possibility of losing human jobs to robots. We've talked before about how we might upskill humans to prevent this, but Douglas has a more radical idea. He thinks we need to completely transform the way we relate to work in the first place. A lot of people are, are going to be replaced. I mean, right now, labor is not genuinely being replaced by technology. We've got these very brittle, um, exploitative, extractive, and polluting systems that we can exacerbate with robots and technology, but we're really just externalizing the damage. So if we are going to have robots 
build cars, but in order to build those robots, we've got to send, you know, African children into caves under gunpoint to get the rare earth metals required, then none of that is real, right? We're just externalizing things further, but there's still just as many humans and just as much or more damage being created. Employment itself is a relatively new phenomenon. You know, people didn't want jobs. They liked making stuff. They liked creating and exchanging value with one another at the market. But the the job, the employment, the idea that people are going to, you know, sell their time to an employer who has a monopoly in some industry. So now I've got to go work for Walmart or Amazon or Uber instead of actually, you know, running my own business. That's the silliness. So no, I don't think everybody needs jobs in order to work. I think that jobs were an idea. Really, jobs were uh, are, are an institution of, of oppression. So I'm not that concerned with many, many jobs going away as long as we uh, kind of reinstate, you know, local manufacturing and local business and all the kinds of cottage industries that, that would really serve us a lot more efficiently than all of this, you know, massively uh, polluting centralized production does. We talk a lot about algorithms on this show. And one thing we talk about is how they can allow machines to seem more human-like so that we can better interact with them. But you say that algorithms have really been developed to make humans less human. How do they do that? There's a division at Stanford University called the Capitology Lab. And there's a real department that's all about how to develop technologies that control human behavior. You know, they call it behavior design theory, and they have nice words for it, but it's really, you know, how can you develop an algorithm that gets somebody to do something? And the idea is, so you take a platform like Facebook, and they use the data that you've left behind to put you into a statistical bucket where they know, oh, maybe there's an 80% chance that you're going to get divorced or go on fertility treatments or go on a diet in the next six weeks. And once they know that, they can start messaging you with messages that they know push people to go on a diet. And if we are using the most powerful multi-trillion dollar technological platforms we have to limit human ingenuity to limit that novel behavior, then uh, we are intentionally ironing out humanity, you know, in the name of predictability. And if you're going to play predictability, I don't like where human society is going. So according to Douglas, we need to take back what it means to be human and familiarize ourselves with this idea of social connection. In many cases, we need to remind humans what it means to be human, which is why Douglas is advocating for a renaissance rather than a revolution. Once people begin to experience one another again, once they have the experience of looking into someone's eyes or establishing rapport, of feeling the mirror neurons fire and the oxytocin go through the bloodstream and they go, oh, right, that's human connection. And once you begin experiencing those things, 
you know, everything starts to unravel. All of a sudden, all those consumerist things that you wanted to buy seem really meaningless compared to just having some time to be with another person. All of the tweets and pictures on Instagram that you think are so heinous and that you need to make a comment on because somehow your comment in the stream is going to matter somehow, all that goes away and you go outside and start to address the real problems that are existing right right where you live. And then those, you know, those then demand the sorts of structural changes that we're going to need, you know, in order to be able to solve those problems. So yeah, I'm just really, I'm arguing for the very first stage, the very beginning, one human beings matter. You know, being human is a team sport, so go find the others. That's really all I'm asking at this stage. Right. What do you mean by find the others? It's the last statement that you write in the book, although obviously it's mentioned throughout. Who are the others and how do we find them? Well, first, there's these other people and you'll recognize them because, you know, they look like you. (laughs) Right. They're walking around on two legs. Most of those, those are humans. And they're the others. I mean, I would think at the beginning, it's, you know, find the other people who are waking up to all this, you know, find your comrades, find your teammates. You know, in the late 60s, Timothy Leary, the psychedelics counterculture guru, did a talk at Berkeley and a girl got up and asked, you know, oh, I just had my first psychedelic experience and I've seen that, you know, the world is all connected. What do I do now? And Leary said to her, find the others. You know, so he meant find uh, those who are sympathetic to this, find those who have had this vision, who have this understanding. And I think that's a great first step. But then it means finding the others, the true others, you know, the the people who are in the states, it would be find the red state people if you're a blue state person or the blue state people if you're in the red state. You know, when I talk to progressives, I tell them, you know, if you can't see the human being you know, wearing that Make America Great Again hat, if you can't see the human being beneath that facade, then how do you expect that person to see the humanity in a Mexican immigrant? You know, so it really does start with us. We've got to see the human being operating in all of our supposed adversaries in order for them to begin to wake up and experience the humanity in the rest of us. Well, There you have it, humans. In order to stay relevant in a world that we ourselves have built to accommodate more computers and robots, Douglas says we need to remember that we're at our strongest when we get back to the basics of interacting with each other. And that, he says, means everyone, not just the people we agree with. Huge thanks to Douglas Rushkoff for joining me this week. There'll be a link to his book, Team Human, on this week's episode description on the Guardian website. Before we sign off, I want to point you in the direction of friend of the show and the Guardian's UK tech editor, Alex Hearn. As you may have heard, this week the far-right founder of the English Defence League, Tommy Robinson, was banned from Facebook and Instagram for repeatedly breaching hate speech rules. Alex discussed the news on a recent episode of The Guardian's podcast, Today in Focus. You should listen in to find out more. Of course, we're also following this story closely here on Chips. So if you have any thoughts on these kinds of bans, drop us an email at chipspodcast at theguardian.com. Chips is produced by Danielle Stevens. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. 
Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.